0: Welcome back to It's Now or Never. This episode may get a little heavy. It will get a little personal. But March 15th, which when I'm recording this intro, is yesterday. Around the world, students protested climate inaction. And that gives me hope. So shout out to everyone who went to the climate protests. All right, on to the show. hey it's jeremy um we're gonna do something a little different this episode instead of having a guest it's just gonna be me i've been working on notes for this episode for a while now weeks um gonna keep rewriting it and trying to come up with exactly what i'm gonna say but you know, I wind up getting too in my head and I try to plan too much beforehand. And what I really like about my favorite podcasts is they tend to be more off the cuff. You know, it's more about like what's authentically being felt in the moment. Uh, So I I don't really want to read an essay that I wrote. Uh, I don't want to like perform. I want to have a conversation, even if I have no idea who I'm talking to right now. Maybe I'm just talking to myself. It feels like I'm talking to myself, Uh, but on the off chance that anyone is listening. So this will be the ninth episode. I actually recorded the first eight like six months ago in the scope of like four weeks or so, four or five weeks maybe, and I've just been editing them since. And definitely for the early ones it might be hard to tell that it took a while to edit each one but it did I've I've had a lot of time to think about what we talked about uh, especially listening to those conversations over and over and over again and I've had a lot a lot of time to process things. Uh, So I thought it would actually maybe be a good time to step back and kind of talk about what's going through my head now uh, and where my heart is at now versus when I started. When I started, I think I was more, I was going through kind of a grieving process. I had just recently quit my full-time office job for complicated reasons that I'm not gonna get into here and I was trying to figure out I was trying to figure out what made sense for me to do now um yeah so I I had a little time on my hands and I was getting kind of existential with it and trying to figure out what my next move was gonna be and so I kind of had um I had been picking up on maybe the climate change situation was a little more urgent than what you would surmise from, you know, CNN. Maybe there was something going on that wasn't so uh, status quo. It wasn't so situation normal. Um, I think it was listening to some Noam Chomsky talks where he just sort of casually mentions that climate change is just like great existential threat and then the f- uh, the first time I heard this talking point about the sixth uh, mass extinction event it kind of hit me that this this was sort of a problem that I needed to look into if I really wanted to get my existential bearings I kind of needed to it was sort of beyond just confronting my own mortality. Because when you sort of think about confronting your mortality, you're thinking like, well, I'm going to exist in this society, having this kind of life, or whatever choices I make before the end of it, for, you know, another 50 years now for me, if I'm lucky, right? And if I'm not, I don't know, like, well, let's not plan for not being lucky, because how do you plan for that? You know, I guess you live every day to the fullest, or whatever cliché, I mean, yeah, I don't mean to disparage that kind of self-help approach, I don't get a lot out of the live every day to the fullest, um, because I I don't really know what that means, Uh, it seems kind of vacuous, anyway, so it's not just like confronting my own mortality, but I guess confronting the mortality of the species, Confronting the mortality of the culture. Confronting the mortality of the form of human civilization that I have known my entire life. Not just thinking, okay, how many years might I have left if I'm lucky, but how many years do we have left if we're lucky? And if those numbers are maybe about the same, or if one of those numbers sort of impacts the other, you know, if I might live 80 years, uh, if I'm lucky, but we're only going to be around for like 20 years before it all goes to shit, and there's not, the odds of me surviving that aren't super great, I don't have a lot of practical skills, and even if I dropped everything right now to learn practical skills, which, believe me, I have considered... I'm still probably, you know, it's not if it if it comes down to me versus one of those like doomsday preppers that's been practicing their assault rifle. Um, odds aren't super good for me. I'm also not super great at making friends, so I'm unlikely to find myself surrounded by a community of people all helping each other. So, you know, this is kind of like the myth of like the lone wolf. Which, if you're a lone wolf, you're probably going to die. But the, usually the people who really, under like individualist survivalism are yeah, like at least try to be more rugged. So I'm, I'm, you know, like a pasty, soft-handed lone wolf. So I probably won't make it too far. Even if I do just start digging and try to be a mole person. What am I saying? So the, the more I looked into it, yeah, it turned out and I'm not gonna lay out all of my research or the evidence that I found or any arguments here. I'm just talking about my own process. I'm not really gonna be making any arguments here for why I feel or think X or Y. Um, This isn't really, I might do that later, but this isn't really the place for that. Um, It kind of looked to me pretty likely that things are looking kind of dire. We are definitely, I would say definitely, going to be affected by climate change. It's too late for us to not be affected by climate change. The question is to what degree we'll be affected, and where we are now versus where we have to be, it's not looking good. I'm not going to try to argue anyone out of their optimism, but what I will say is naivete is not the same as optimism and naivete is not a virtue and ignorance is only bliss until reality hits you in the face and you have not been bracing for it or attempted to dodge it I, I really don't think that now is the time to stick your head in the sand so as tough as it's been for me to try to educate myself, I still think there's an argument about whether or not it's morally responsible, I think it is, but more than that, it's, (laughs) it's practically responsible. You know, the first thing you start thinking, when you start even beginning to process the reality of what we're up against, the first thing you start thinking is like, well, what do I do? Like, what can I do? The problem is so vast, you know? It's really global civilization as a whole. and Well, I mean, uh, it's definitely disproportionately some heavily industrialized uh, nations, the U.S. being one of them, China, India, um, but it really does feel like you're up against the world. And... You know, I don't know about you, I was not born to a wealthy family. I have no real influence. Looking at what needed to be done, what the challenges were, seems hopeless. The problem seems insurmountable. Certainly more than I could do. I found myself having moved past this sort of practical denial into the anger and then depression phases of the grieving process. When I started this podcast, I think at first, <laughs> at first it was anger and then it was the depression and then it was sort of oscillating back and forth. The anger feels nice because it's active. You know, you at least you feel like if you punch the right, thing or person it will help or be therapeutic but you know you you can't avoid moving through the process so you you get to the depression part where you realize you can't punch anyone to solve the problem you can't you can't guillotine anyone into fixing the situation I, I I don't believe that it's uh it can be a dark place when you're really in the middle of grieving for your own species, not just your own species, but all the species that we're destroying, and all the de- species that we may destroy. I mean, if you look at what's going on with insects right now, or what's going on in our oceans, what's going on with the rainforests, old-growth forests, forests in general, it's it's pretty dark. Of course, that's what I was feeling, but... Uh, nobody really wants to talk about it. I mean, there are people who are dealing with the same stuff, or the same stuff is weighing on them, or they're moving through the same grieving process. Um, And I found some online communities, but really in person, all the people I knew, they either didn't really understand the full significance of what's going on, At least, uh, most of the people that I would see face-to-face on a regular basis. That's the other thing. A couple years ago now, I moved away from my home state and found myself in Florida. Um, The cultures it's not what I'm used to. It's good to be exposed to what you're not used to, but uh, the vibe is different. I've had a lot of trouble connecting with people here. There are people that I like here. There are people that I enjoy being around, that I enjoy talking with, but I, I have still felt like an outsider, and um, that's okay, it's just the reality. So while I'm kind of going through this existential grieving process, I'm also feeling increasingly isolated, and I had trouble talking with people about it because they ...didn't really want to talk about it, even if they did understand, talking about it is just painful. It's a painful thing to think about. It's a painful thing to feel. I mean, you you can even rationally think about it and rationally accept it. Which I would say most of the people I know are at that point. They rationally understand that. Maybe not the full extent... (laughs) of what the danger is, but they rationally understand that there is, there's going to be some trouble. And I sort of envy the people who think that the market is going to solve the problem or that we'll just reinvest in green energy or even I support the green new deal, but even people who think the green new deal is going to solve the problem. Um, I sort of envy that, but, uh, Again, naivete is not optimism. But even even the ones who do rationally accept the reality of what is probably going to happen in the next few decades, um, there's a difference between rationally accepting something and really getting it through your heart. Between like rationally, internally nodding in agreement with some language, some sentence, some, you know, string of sounds or characters that you go, yes, I agree with that. If you haven't really felt it, if you haven't really opened up at a deeper level to it, it's not much different than than agreeing that, like, I don't know, Han Solo shot first. I mean, you can agree with fiction in the same way. So given how difficult it is to try to actually feel it on a deeper level, why would you do it? I think that you can't really respond unless you have really opened yourself up to something. You, otherwise, you're reacting. I don't think you can really respond to something that horrific unless you've kind of processed it, unless you've done the grieving. Otherwise, you're reacting, and you may not be fully aware of what motivations or hidden intentions or karma or whatever is going into that reaction is less likely to be the most appropriate response. So while it is harder, I think it's important for us to all try to open to the reality and to grieve and to support each other in the grieving People don't want to talk about it because it's hard to talk about, because it's hard to think about, because it's hard to feel. And yet I was feeling it. And I desperately needed to talk to someone. And the only way I could think of to talk about it was to turn it into a joke. Um, without getting too bogged down in my personal history, From my own childhood, I guess, I have sort of internalized this rule that the way you get away with saying unspeakable truths is to turn it into a joke. If you're a jester, you can criticize the king, as long as you make the king laugh. Because if the king laughs, he's on your side even if you're criticizing him. So I thought I would turn it into a joke. So I wasn't thinking too hard about this. This wasn't something that I, I didn't have a plan. I have a tendency to overthink things, and I have a tendency to overthink things to the point where I think myself out of doing them, or I expand the plan or the concept so much that I can't possibly execute it, and I give up on it. The reason I called it Now or Never is because, in a way, I felt like I didn't have time even to overthink it. I mean, I, I didn't think I was going to die in a week or a month or years or whatever, but there's definitely this sort of sense of urgency, like, if I try to overthink it, I may never get to it, it just may become something on my to-do list that just eventually moves further and further down, because I keep putting more and more things at the top. So if it's now or never, I just wanted to do it. I didn't know what I was doing, you know, so I asked some of my friends, hey, I'm going to do a podcast just for fun, so do you want to come on, we'll just have a conversation. I had no idea, I had never really edited any audio or even recorded audio or anything like that before. Um, but I love podcasts. I listen to podcasts all the time. That's the other thing. Uh, I love podcasts. And one thing I love about podcasts is it can feel like you're having a relationship, even if you're not having a relationship, or even if that relationship is completely one-sided. Once you've listened to a couple hundred episodes of someone, you start to feel like you know that person. You start to feel like that's socializing, even if they never meet you. They never hear your voice. You're not interacting with them in any way. So something about the idea of doing a podcast appealed to me, even if no one listened, because it felt like I was at least still talking back to the internet, you know, to the place where all of the the voices are. Something about that felt sort of therapeutic. So I said, okay, it's now or never. Um, Let's record. But I want to talk about what I'm going through regarding climate change, collapse, uh, ecocide, (laughs) the climate crisis, whatever you want to call it. Um, But I can only do a little bit. and there has to be a punchline or some kind of like way of relieving the tension we talked about this a little bit in the episode with matt where what's happening is scary and to call any attention to it increases it like it ratchets up the attention level if you want people to still listen and engage you have to dispel that tension too so i had the idea of like Okay, well, I'll kind of say what I'm being alarmed by, what's, like, pressing on me. And then I'll immediately pivot and turn it into a joke where, but we're not going to talk about any of that. And then we'll just talk about whatever, whatever the guest wants to talk about. So we talked about, you know, video games, fantasy novels, TV, movies, whatever, pop culture. Stuff that we can all talk about, you know? everyone does pop culture that's why it's pop culture it's popular something it's it's common to everyone you know it, it's not a niche I don't have a niche this isn't this isn't a podcast with a plan where I'm I have identified a, a market or anything like that so yeah if it's just going to be mostly just white dudes talking to each other without a plan why would anyone listen to that I didn't really I don't really expect anyone to but I kind of had to do it for me. So that was about six months ago. That's where I was at. I don't want to say that I'm, I've accepted, that I've reached the stage of acceptance, because I'm a little skeptical. I'm a little skeptical that I can accept something that heavy, even if it took six months and a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of uh, struggling with it a lot of actively trying to process it, or trying not to let it destroy me in the process. So maybe I've just accepted one layer deep of this onion of grief. Maybe this acceptance, in scare quotes, is just another level where it loops back around to denial, where I think it's acceptance, but it's really, I've just just entered a, a new cycle and and now I'm in denial, and I'm calling that denial acceptance. All, I don't know. All I know is I'm not where I was six months ago when I started this. And in the time since then where I've been editing these episodes, it's something I've been thinking about. What am I doing with this? Like, what what do I want to do? What do I want to say? What do I want to share what do I want to learn about why am I investing so much time into this to the point where I'm learning skills that I didn't have at all just to do it and the answer is still kind of I don't know Uh, I don't know why really I want to do it um I don't know why I really want to put so much time into this um I would actually I would love to put even more time into podcasting maybe not even this podcast I don't know I might at some point just burn this to the ground and start something completely different, or I don't know. But sort of what I've come to realize is this isn't a product. This isn't a thing, an artifact, a little box that I've wrapped up for anyone. This is more of recording a process because I can look at episode one and compare that to episode 8, and say, I've learned a lot about editing between the two of those, and I enjoy that, that makes me feel good. So I'm just going to keep doing that, and maybe in a hundred episodes I'll look back and I'll be like, wow, I've, I've gotten so much further, or not, I don't know. So I also still don't have like a focus picked out or anything, or a niche, or anything that would make this marketable. Or worth recommending to anyone. But I don't want to just joke about what's going on anymore. Which is a little scarier. I mean, I want to have enjoyable conversations. I don't want things to get too heavy. I don't want things to get so heavy that no one wants to come on and talk to me. But the whole joke thing feels... I think it was what I needed to do it at the time, but it's not how I feel right now. There's kind of a bitterness to it. And I think what I get more out of now is somehow being able to offer a space for people to come into and share what they're going through. Whatever stage of their own grieving they're at, or if they don't want to talk about it at all and they want to talk around it. But more than that, I'm kind of coming to the point where I don't think it's enough to just point to the problem. I think it's valuable to point to the problem, and I commend everyone who's doing that, because there is still a lot of denial. There's a lot of overt denial. There are people who refuse to believe that climate change is happening or that humans have anything to do with it the science on that is clear i don't know if it's a waste of time arguing with those people or maybe there's a way that's not where i'm at right now i don't want to argue with them but i i support whoever's doing that there's also the people who say it doesn't matter because jesus is coming back there's a whole belief system that would just take way too much effort I guess the only thing I'll say about that is Jesus has been about to come back for a couple thousand years now, almost, and there's been a lot of suffering in that time. So, if you are a Christian who believes that Jesus is going to come back soon, maybe you can believe that and also acknowledge that There might be more suffering to go before that. And that if you truly believe what Jesus taught, you would be interested in what you can do about that suffering for others. And maybe if Jesus is just about to come back, but people are suffering now, or if he's going to come back the day after tomorrow, but people will suffer tomorrow and you can do something to prevent that, or at least lessen it, maybe what you could do that would bear some similarity to what Jesus said in the Gospels that I've read would be to try to make that choice to prevent or reduce that suffering. That's all I'm going to say about that one. (laughs) Because even that kind of feels like a waste of time. You can sound the alarm... If you sound the alarm, people are going to want to call you an alarmist because then they can write you off, they can tune out the sound of the alarm. That doesn't mean don't sound the alarm. So if you're sounding the alarm, I commend you, I, I, I consider you an ally in whatever that means, but I'm kind of, I feel like I'm moving away from that emotionally. Because I feel like that is not enough. Because if you point to the problem and you get more people aware of it, that's great. But people are going to ask, what do I do about it? And that's an extremely difficult question to answer. And the easy answers, I don't really buy. In my own attempts to figure out how to answer that question for myself and for every time I've gotten that question when I've sounded the alarm. What I've come to is sort of the difficult realization that the very shape of our civilization as it exists now, and has existed for a long time, maybe its entirety, is what's causing this problem. That it's something, it's like an original sin of civilization, almost. This increasing exploitation of resources. This unsustainable overreach of consuming more, and growing more, and consuming more, and spreading. This sort of trend that seems to have continued since agriculture, at least. I mean, we can go back further than that and say well homo sapiens probably wiped out you know this or that other species of humans <laughs> essentially i'm i'm not making a claim that there was any utopian civilization where everything was perfect i'm skeptical about that i think there's arguments to be had about the happiness and mental health of hunter gatherer cultures that we've encountered versus now but i don't i don't propose anything so black and white but I've, I've grown increasingly skeptical that any techno solution or market-based solution or anything like that, it seems like those sorts of band-aids aren't really going to be enough to address the problem, and that it's not just climate change. Climate change, I think, is the most glaring symptom that we're going to uh, encounter for now, but over-exploitation of our resources, what we're doing to the soil what we're doing to our water supplies, what we're doing to the biosphere in general, it's not going to last. And there's another argument about whether we're already too populated or whether we could institute um, technologies and agricultural practices along with more equitable forms of distribution of resources in order to sustain current levels. I'm, I'm skeptical of that, but... That's a whole other thing that I'm not prepared to argue, that I don't even know that I want to argue. But regardless, we're consuming too much. We're just consuming too much. And yeah, it's it's distributed completely lopsided. It's con- It's distributed completely unevenly. And I live in a tremendously exploitative society on land that was seized, powered by Resources that were seized from others, built with labor that is exploitative, built by people who didn't have a choice, while people are starving elsewhere. And unfortunately, a lot more of that than we would care to admit is caused by our exploitation and the ways that we've destabilized sovereign nations. So, yeah. We could, you know, try not to do that, uh, and and try to come up with a more equitable way of distributing the resources, Um, but it really does seem to me that we're consuming them entirely too quickly, far beyond sustainable levels. And more than that, in order to fix that, I think it would require a fundamental change in every aspect of our lives. Change in our government, change in our economy, change in our culture, changing the way we think, changing the way we treat others, the way we treat the planet, the way we treat animals, the way we treat women, the way we treat indigenous people. And more and more I'm realizing as a white person that this is something that is occurring to me now that others have been saying for a long time. And so there's something that seems sort of feeble about saying it now, myself, maybe better late than never. Would that be a better podcast title? Better late than never? <laughs> that seems a little little defeatist. It assumes an action, at least, so maybe not. Anyway, I think in order to ask that level of change, you have to offer some alternative. At least the idea of an alternative. The late Mark Fisher wrote in Capitalist Realism, which I highly recommend, it's a slim volume, please check it out, he wrote a line that's been frequently repeated now, something like, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. And so, there's been a lot of imagining the end of the world. We've been imagining the end of the world for a long time now. I think in a way, the more we imagine the end, the thirstier we get for it. This whole thing is sort of powered by this linear time, this conception of progress. You either believe in some kind of messianic intervention, whether that's the singularity or the return of Christ Or you see the signs and believe it's all going to fall apart. But either way, there's this sense of just pushing and striving to get there. And I think that's creating this sort of feedback loop. Because the more we do that, the shittier we make everything. And the shittier we make everything, the more we want it all to end. Even if you believe it's going to end horribly. It's almost like the dominant culture seems like the dominant culture is almost a death cult, a giant death cult, that on some level, maybe we all know we're destroying ourselves, and maybe we want it to end, or maybe through our sheer imaginings, we're just sort of running toward it. And there's a part of me even that would still, sometimes that still feels, looks at what we're doing to other species, and to each other, and feels like, Maybe we deserve to end. Maybe our time is over. Maybe we should just go extinct. But that's not going to happen without taking a bunch more species down with us. It will probably take the Earth millions of years to recover from us. And the longer we do what we're doing now, the longer it's going to take. And I can't accept that. So, if humanity wants to jump off of this metaphorical bridge, and plummet into the abyss, because we just can't stand ourselves anymore? Maybe that's our right to do that. But the reality is, not all of us want that. (laughs) I mean, American culture isn't the only culture, Western culture isn't the only culture, capitalist cultures aren't the only culture, and then there's everything else on the planet and it's not our right to take them all down with us. Here's the other thing. Humans are a really strange kind of animal. This whole language thing, the way that we process and acquire information, this new, strange, mimetic replication we've introduced to our planet, it's pretty weird. And it does sort of make us unique. You know, I I I grew up watching Star Trek, mostly Star Trek The Next Generation, so maybe I just have a weird inflated sense of what's possible, but I would like to believe that it's possible for us to do something other than destroy ourselves, and I just want to see what we'll do. Even if I'm not going to be around to see it, I would like to believe or suppose that my species will continue to get weirder and weirder, and hopefully build spaceships, and, you know, make contact with extraterrestrial life, or, you know, whatever. All sorts of weirdness, stuff we can't even imagine now. Maybe there's a broader narrative that you can think about that would make you feel better about the whole thing. Like, there was the Great Oxidation event, where cyanobacteria first started to produce oxygen through photosynthesis, and all these other species died off like two and a half billion years ago, and it triggered these massive changes, and eventually aerobic organisms evolved that consumed the oxygen, and the whole system changed, and that's what eventually led to multicellular life. Maybe humans are a part of doing something just as catastrophic as that was at the time. Maybe it has to do with information or the way that we're building this weird electronic nervous system everywhere. I don't know. But in order to look at that and feel good about that, you have to kind of take a step back from being human, at least for the moment. You have to sort of take this imagined perspective of an outsider looking at life on Earth as it develops, and that might be interesting, and that might be beautiful, but I am a human, and I know humans, and I love humans, and I like humans, not all of them, but, you know, there are humans that I like, there are are humans that I don't like, but I still, (laughs) I don't want to see them destroyed, (laughs) I don't want to see a great massive collapse event take them down with everything else. So I, I do think about that sometimes, but I'm not comfortable just retreating into this bigger picture, because it's not where I actually live, you know? It's not where I'm actually relating to people around me. And where I am as a human, I want there to keep being humans. And I want to believe that it's possible for us to come back to, or discover, or create, whatever the right term is, some new or old or both (laughs) uh, way of relating with everything else. I want to believe that we can recognize ourselves as not only human and not some disembodied intelligence coolly perceiving everything that's going on, but as intimately connected and interdependent on all life on this planet, and to recognize the inherent value, the inherent right to be of everything else. So I'm not comfortable. I don't want to just keep sounding the alarm. I don't want to just keep banging on that bell, or that air horn, whatever this metaphorical alarm is. I want to invite people to come on the show, talk about what they're feeling, wherever they're at in the grieving process but also to imagine with me another possibility and I don't I don't know what that looks like so I'm not saying listen to my show and I'll tell you what we should be building there are people who are thinking about that there's this book that's at the top of my list now called Designing Regenerative Cultures by Daniel Christian Wall that seems worth checking into and I'm definitely going to do that once I finish uh, the four or five books that I'm going through right now. maybe he has the answer. I, I don't have it and I'm I'm not so interested in focusing on thinking about it. I want to imagine and I want to encourage others to imagine something that could be that isn't just destruction. And I think that means the end of capitalism. So I want to challenge myself, and anyone else who comes on the show who who feels like talking about that kind of thing, to imagine what that might look like, what might be on the other side of that. If it's so hard to do right now, maybe that's what we need to do. So I just want to open that invitation to everyone, really. If I haven't asked you to be on the show yet, send me a message. Hit me up on Twitter, send me an email, Facebook, however you know me. If you've just encountered me online, or if you know me in person is an open invitation, come talk to me if you're interested in any of this, talking about any of this, sharing any of what you're going through, imagining with me, sharing your hopes, things you've imagined for the future. It's not really a hard focus, you know, that I've now chosen for the podcast. It's just sort of a meandering direction I feel like I'm moving in. Not away from the anger, but through it, past it, and I'll keep going, and we'll see what happens. I can't tell you what this podcast is going to look like in another nine episodes, but that's kind of the fun part. We'll see. opening track was noise to flange tag by small colin closing track is ching by glass boy thank you so much for listening uh i've got another the next couple episodes that i recorded the past couple weeks much much more recent kind of fresh content more stuff that i've been thinking about now so i'm excited to get those out soon episodes at it's now or never podcast.com it is up on twitter at now or never cast. send me an email at jeremy at it's now or never podcast.com find us on itunes soundcloud see you next time